Hey, this is David Hicks. Uh, welcome to the I'm Excited podcast. I have here very excited uh, Jeff Brown. He's a, a minister of Woodmont Hills Church. And we're going to talk about today a project that they implemented that was really geared toward helping people in poverty and really embellished the idea of what uh, Jesus wants his church to be. Before we begin that, though, Jeff, I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself Tell anything you want about your life, about why you why did you follow Jesus? Why did you decide to get in the ministry? Uh, what's your ministry background? Just anything you want to share there, by all means, fire away. Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for inviting me into the conversation. Uh, I have enjoyed the partnership I got to share with you when you were here at Woodmont Hills. Um, and every time that we have intersected in ministry, whether it was helping somebody or planning, plotting what might happen in the church. It's been uh, a gift to me. So my name is Jeff. My wife is Ashley. Uh, we have six kids. We were foster parents for several years, um, adopted our oldest two girls. Uh, we grew up in Oklahoma. So both sets of families are in different parts of Oklahoma. And then uh, first call in ministry was college ministry, and it was in West Tennessee. Jackson, Tennessee. We spent 12 years um, with a church in Jackson that I love, that loved my family really well. I came to that church single with no kids and I left with four. Uh, and it was uh, a huge blessing to, to our church or to our family during that time. Um, being eight hours away from family, had lots of people who became family and loved my kids like they were uh, their own family. And that was a huge gift. And then four and a half years ago, felt the call to come to Nashville, to Woodmont Hills, uh, and be a part of what God is doing here in the city and beyond. Uh, that's, that's great. And I love what you have done with your family adoption, uh, foster care, of course, you know, I, my son's adopted. So that's, I'm adopted. My sister adopted. I, adoption just runs throughout our family. I like to joke and say it's in our blood. Um, so, yes, uh, that's, again, uh, love what you've done with your life there, Jeff, um, in Christ. I want to read a couple of verses here and that'll lay the foundation for what we want to talk about. Um, I'm going to start with Luke chapter 12. These are these are very you know brief passages here, but Jesus is teaching. And uh, right after he talks about, you know, the Luke version of don't worry, see God's kingdom. And don't be afraid. In verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this, this is something you see, selling your possessions and give to the poor. The church did from the very beginning. In Acts chapter 2, um, in verse uh, 44 and 45, we read this. Uh, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And then just a little bit later, it reemphasizes this mindset they had. In Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 32 to 35, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was with them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, 
and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So, you know, I grew up in a church. I grew up in the Rockwood Church of Christ, and one of the things we emphasized was, you know, we want to be like the first century church and stuff. But something that's bothered me for a long time is, is that this aspect of church life, we, we never put a heavy emphasis on it. It, it. Like we hardly ever talked about it. it it's like the verses didn't exist. And uh, just generally speaking, uh, you know, anywhere I've been, we've hardly ever touched these verses and touched this teaching. And so, Jeff, in your prior, prior to Project 245 that we want to get into, what was what has been your experience in seeing this in, in churches and Christianity as a whole? Yeah, David, I think you're right. I think sometimes we have come to think about giving as this necessary evil or, or almost a burden that we don't want to burden people with, as opposed to a grace, a gift, an opportunity. You know, Paul says it's a grace to give uh, as he talks about the Macedonians. I felt that for one of the first times uh, in college, I grew up in a church in Oklahoma that loved me, taught me to love Jesus, and uh, was really good to me. And in college, when I had an opportunity to go on a couple short-term missions, I needed to raise some money to do it. And I remember sending out letters, and I remember being overwhelmed by some of the people who gave, because I grew up with the people, and and what they gave, and how much they gave, and had this uneasy feeling in me to, oh, I don't know if sister so-and-so should be giving this much. And I remember a mentor at the time asking me, well, it, it, is giving a burden or is it a blessing? There's, there's a blessing to be able to participate in the gospel. And it was one of the first times I, I thought about giving in that way. Uh, but it is absolutely the way Paul will talk about giving. I think sometimes in church, we we apologize for giving, right? When you introduce the offering, sometimes, oh, visitors, make sure you know no one is expected to give. We just want your presence. And, and some of that language around giving betrays this belief that giving is somehow a burden, which if you've experienced the ability to give and to be generous as God is generous, I think you don't need any convincing. We had a, a shepherd uh, who passed away actually during COVID. And one of the things I remember uh, Ty Osmond saying is, I've never, really, I've never met a formerly generous person. Wow. If, if you've been generous, you've tasted that, you know, it is a grace. And so whether we're talking about giving possessions to the poor or opening up a room in your house, if you've tasted that, I think, you know, it is a grace to be shared and not a burden to be apologized for. It is, uh, it, it calls to mind a couple of things, you know, Jesus, uh, it, it being mentioned in Acts, how Jesus taught it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, and it calls to mind back in the days when I was in the inner city Chattanooga and, and was a minister there and raising money, but trying to, to help people see that giving so that, you know, we can take the gospel to, to people in our city is, 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 it's, it's a blessing. It's a privilege. It's a, it, it's, you know, like you said, it, it's, um, as, as Paul mentioned, it, it's, it's a blessing. It's invigorating spiritually. It's helpful. It's, uh, it definitely is a blessing. I, lo I love that thought. The so, blessing that animates, I think a part of who we are 
that sometimes we withhold from certain people and groups. You mentioned inner city. So when we were in Jackson, uh, we had the grace of meeting so many families through a mentoring program. And um, many families who were at risk and well below the poverty level, struggling to get by in project housing. And we often thought about giving to those families, but we often robbed many of these image bearers of that ability to give themselves. And I remember uh, simple things like uh, we had a parent meeting and one time we decided, hey, rather than catering this meal, what if we just shared it potluck and allowed people to share some of the gifts? And maybe I don't have a ton of money to make, but I can make you know, a mean plate of spaghetti casserole. Uh, and I remember friends coming to life when we said, hey, could you give, could you provide something here? There's something dignifying in that, that we know in the big scheme of things, God could do it without us, but God invites us to give and be a part of it. And so I, I really do think of giving as a, a grace uh, to share and not a, a burden to be apologized for. Man, they're, they're like, I think we could have this conversation for hours. There's so many different tangents to go off in here. You know, for example, you know, our culture is so centered around the idea of entertaining ourselves, but that's it. Entertaining ourselves is a, is a receiving lifestyle. It's not a giving lifestyle. I'm not saying we can never spend some time in self entertainment stuff, but if, if that's the center of your life, it, it leads to an empty life. Um, but let, let's move on to, to Project 245. Now, this was a project centered around giving. Tell us, what was the idea behind it? What was going on? Uh, what was this, this Project 245 about? And how is it tied to Acts 245, where it says, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need? Yeah. And David, you were in the room for some of this as it came together. And so I, I think it's important as I tell the story that I tell it well. Project 245 was not the strategic plan hatched by me or any small group of people. I really do believe it was uh, being responsive to the movement of the spirit. And during the early days of the pandemic, there was a stirring of what can we do? We are in this world engulfed by need. Um, and I think uh, one of the early temptations is uh, to believe because you can't do everything, you can't really do anything. Um, and it was easy to be overwhelmed, but in a small group of uh, people who came together to pray and to listen to the spirit, uh, what emerged out of that was um, we are all affected by COVID. Every single one of us at that point in the early days of the pandemic were affected by COVID, but we were not all evenly affected. Some were really sick. Others didn't get sick at all. Some lost their job. You know all too well what it was to uh, the financial implications on some, but not all. My, my job, my income wasn't affected at all. And during the early days of the pandemic, when uh, everybody was scrambling for how do we take care of each other. You'll remember we got stimulus checks. And so for some, the stimulus check was not nearly enough. How am I going to pay my rent, my mortgage, my car payment, 
this $1,400 that I'm going to get is a drop in the bucket. And for others who didn't have their income affected at all, like myself, uh, we said, what does it mean to be the people of God in this moment? And so coming back to that early scene in Acts 2, where people shared their resources so that there was no need among them, we said, what would it look like in this moment uh, for those who don't need to share with those who have more need, to redistribute some of those resources that were coming to people who were unaffected and get them into the hands of those who were most affected. So that was really the heart of Project 245, the simplicity of some of us have more than we need and others don't have enough right now. So what does it look like to be the people of God in this moment? Uh, I love that. Now, when you took this idea before the church, before the congregation, how was it received? You know, I I think um, most people at that time were in the throes of, I want to do something. I'm a little overwhelmed with, I can't do everything. So it really latched on and caught fire of, hey, here is something tangible I can do. I, I don't need all of the $1,400 that came to me, or it could have been well beyond the, the stimulus check. I don't need all of what I have right now, and there are others who need it more. And so we it snowballed to where we distributed more than $100,000, and people who don't even attend at Woodmont, some who don't uh, go to church were saying, hey, I want to be a part of something that makes a difference. So I think it had uh, a widespread uh, effect and magnet of pulling people into, I want to be a part of something that is bigger than myself. Wow. So over a hundred thousand is that that's a lot. Um, how did it work? I mean, how, how did you tell people to give? I mean, who's, who's in charge of it? How did you know who to give to? How did those things come about? Yeah, I, I think one of the things, David, that was really interesting to me is you look at the back end of a lot of projects and you talk about $100,000 or more than $100,000 being raised. Often that comes in big chunks. It means you had one person who gave 70% of it or 50% of it. I think one of the things that was different about this is it was lots of people giving and redistributing some of those funds. So the number of participants was different than what you might see in other benevolent movements. Uh, But really, it was a simple thing. So we put together a core team of people who would receive applications. Uh, We did want to uh, narrow a scope of those who were most affected by COVID because that's, so it was really set up to be a short-term injection of somebody who might have lost a job, lost a loved one, but COVID-related problems. And so that's where the revenue came from. And we targeted that and tried to make it as simple as possible where somebody could log on to the website, fill out an application, and then somebody would receive that application, reach out to them and say, hey, David, notice you um, lost your job or you said you need X number of dollars for rent. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, and then that pool, that group of people met weekly uh, during that time to distribute what we had received. So you had these core people that would go through the applications presented on the website, um, identify the most needful, especially related to COVID, follow up 
with those people. And then just simply no strings attached, I assume here, just give them what they needed. That's right. I think the other side of it um, that we often don't think about, you know, we talked, started this conversation by talking about the blessing to give. We did have a group of people who uh, were an engagement team, not only trying to drum up those who were most affected by COVID, but those who were unaffected, who don't belong to a church, but want to be a part of something good. So uh, I remember having a conversation with my neighbor who doesn't attend anywhere saying, hey, I'm really excited about one of the things my church is doing right now. I knew that his income wasn't affected at all, but I knew him to be a generous person. And so I wanted him to taste some of what it means to be a group of people who are uh, trying to be good stewards of all that has come to us. So this was a good opportunity to get other people not associated with church, not necessarily believers or anything, to participate and experience and taste the kingdom of God, really, and what it's uh, what it's like. That's right. That's right. You know, a lot of times we've talked about people who um, come to belief and then they get plugged into something that's bigger than themselves. I think right now what um, so many churches are learning to pay attention to is there are people who feel that innate desire to be a part of something that is good, that's bigger than themselves, that's not shallow. Um, and maybe it's through a church or maybe it's through elsewhere uh, who may come to belief along the way. And so it happens in the other order, but I want to be a part of something that is good. that's bigger than myself. And along the way uh, I get to name some of those things for people and say, you know, that desire you have, I think that is part of what God planted in you. And you come to belief along the way, as opposed to the other way around. I love that. I've seen that in my own life. And again, going back to inner sea work, inviting people into the inner sea work, whether they were, you know, yet followers of Christ or not. And as they experienced it and grew that they themselves decided to follow Jesus. I think it's fantastic. Um, so with understanding, we have to be anonymous in a lot of these situations. What what are some success stories that stand out in your mind? You know, I, I think it's it's the touch point that the family has, especially families who don't have uh, a church family all around them, to know that someone is there and they care not only about paying rent, but what's going on in your life. And some of those relationships have continued uh, just in the last week, there's somebody that we had made contact with in the early days of the pandemic that has more needs. And we had enough of a relationship where we know about that need. It's not somebody who attends here, uh, but there was enough of a connection when there was another need uh, to reach out and to have a conversation. And I think knowing that that someone cares um, is woefully, we, we underestimate how important that is when you're find yourself in a church family surrounded by people who care. I remember getting a call uh, in August of this year. We have a teacher who, kindergarten teacher, um, called and said, hey, I have a student whose dad is in the ICU. He is not expected to make it through the weekend, has COVID, was right when the Delta variant was ramping up. Um, They just want somebody to go pray with him. And they didn't know, I mean, right, that just came up through the teacher, my kindergarten teacher, but so desperate for somebody to come 
share that space and when you pray with and so to go and to meet that family and then because of the generosity of the people around them i get to come and to pray with that family but also say we know that you're going to have hardship in the days and weeks to come so uh this was a relatively young man uh has a kindergarten student obviously the um person who is responsible for most of the income in that family. She worked too, but how are they going to make it? And I was able to say, uh, we would love to be able to help out with some of those things. And it was through funds like Project 245 that I was able to say, we would love to take care of some of those needs. That is beautiful. Uh, I love it. Um, Now, there was a church in Arkansas that heard about this guy plugged in. What in the world was that about? And, And what good came from that? So absolutely. We we tried to set up some scaffolding of what we're doing here. There's nothing unique or proprietary about what we're just trying to be the people of God in this moment. But we think uh, that we've created the shell of a system that could be animated in lots of different contexts. And so there was a church uh, in Little Rock uh, that said, we're also trying to make a difference with in our community, and we have the same circumstances as you, some who are not affected at all financially and some who've been devastated. And so they took the same infrastructure. We didn't manage it. We used the same website. And they had a local team of people who received applications and distributed uh, money there in Little Rock. And, And I suspect, though it didn't all come under the banner of Project 245, there were lots of churches who found similar ways to be the people of God under the circumstances that we found ourselves in, that we still find ourselves in. Yeah. And this will, this doesn't end. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, the need to, for, for people, you know, to, for care, for prayer, for financial needs. Yeah. It, it's, it's not going to end. Uh, it's very important. I, th- I think for all of us to realize so this sounds like something that Satan would hate. <laughs> was there any spiritual obstacles that came up? Any sort of, you felt like, hey, we might be getting some spiritual persecution here or, or does God just make this one smooth sailing? It's a good question. I, I, I think one of the things that I can name and see is that cynicism that is can easily overtake us when when we're overwhelmed by need. And I know I, I can't do everything. I can't do everything in my neighborhood, much less in the city, in the country, in the world. I can't do everything, so I might as well not do anything. Uh, I think is the voice of the evil one. Um, And and I think one of the things that this pushed against was, no, we we can't meet every need, but we can do something with what has been entrusted to us. I think the other temptation uh, that is something I I feel on the other side of the the formal end of project 245 is um, that we think of this as a one-time event or this happened once as opposed to a part of who we are. It's our DNA. This is what we do all the time uh, as we pay attention to the needs around us and all that God has entrusted us with. Was this a program that happened once during COVID or is this a part of who we are? 
I hope it's the latter, but I think there is a temptation to say, okay, we did that. We checked that box. You remember the early days in the pandemic where we gave away a bunch of money, pat on the back to us, mission accomplished. I hope we are more missional than that. And it becomes a part of our identity and not just an activity that we engaged in along the way. So you, you kind of brought me to the last question I want to present to you is, is where does the church go from here? You brought Project 245 to a close. How do we maintain that giving spirit? How do we get that mindset they had that what I have is not mine? It's just, yeah, I'm responsible for it, but it's really, it's it's belongs to all of us. If you need it, let me share it. I hope uh, and, and I, I believe that when people taste that grace of giving and not just in a, like I sent a check and I don't know where it went or who it helped, but I, I get to be a part of the whole giving act that they don't need much convincing. Uh, it comes back to that statement that Ty was so fond of. I've never really met, I've never met a formerly generous person. So I think as much as we can create opportunities for people to taste that grace of giving and generosity, those people don't need convincing um, anymore. And, and how do we create more spaces where we come face to face with other image bearers of God who have real need? I think one of the biggest barriers to that is we just, we live in isolated worlds and uh, among people who are mostly like us. And so if you worked in the restaurant industry, you knew how devastating that was to everybody around you. But if you had a job in another industry that was not affected, there's a good chance you could be insulated from it. Um, and so I think creating common tables where we come face to face, I, I say that because uh, I believe the spirit of God in us takes over. When, when we can come face to face and I am aware of the needs in my community, um, the needs of my sisters and brothers who are struggling to pay rent or put food on the table um, or a thousand other things. When I know those needs, when I feel those needs, I think the spirit of God takes over in us and I might not know exactly what to do. It may take some coaching uh, along the way to figure out how to help, but I know I have to do something along the way. All right. So thank you, Jeff, for sharing that. I greatly appreciate it. Again, this is a subject near and dear to my heart because I just think it's, again, something that was so into the, the hearts of the first Christians that we've neglected. And it's just encouraging to hear a church rise up to the occasion and, and really put into practice what Jesus taught us uh, to do and to be. So thank you for your time, Jeff, and, and God bless you and your ministry in the church and your family. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome.